You know, I don't know about you, but maybe this is one of those instances a lot of us like to be in control of things that are going on. We like uh, a service to start on time and to end on time. We like to be able to go to our water tap and turn it on and have water come on. To turn on the light switch and have there be light in our homes. We like bills to arrive on time so that they can be paid, but we also like to have paychecks arrive in order to pay those bills. We are creatures who like to have things go in an orderly fashion. It's kind of the way that we're built. And it gives us sometimes a false sense of security in our lives, that we truly are people who are in control. But the truth of the matter is, then when something happens to us, we go to a doctor and suddenly we get a diagnosis of something that we never expected to hear, life becomes out of control. Or maybe during a storm when that power does go out and we are helpless and simply waiting until it's restored and we have no control over the situation. We look for ways to right it. We look for things in order to restore us back to that balance that we like so much in life. Some people look to agencies and some people look to the government when things are out of control. Surely shouldn't the government be able to do that? Isn't that what we pay our taxes for? Don't we call the office of the President of the United States the most powerful person in the world? So shouldn't somebody with that kind of power be able to help control things for us? Isn't that what we think? You know, just a story about the president, the former president, George W. Bush. He happened to be visiting his parents one time down in Texas, and it was his normal morning routine to get up early, to get his coffee, to go down and read the paper and get briefed on some of the news. He did that this morning, sat down on the couch in their front room, put his feet up on the coffee table, and began to sip his coffee. Suddenly, there was a voice that came out of the kitchen. It was his mother. Get your feet off my coffee table, she said. Out of the kitchen also then came a voice, Barbara, he's the president of the United States. I don't care if he's the president. He's still my son, this is my house, and I don't want his feet on my coffee table. So even presidents need to listen to their mothers on Mother's Day or any other day. But as I said, is it really about control in our lives, about things that we can have, or is it really that we're looking for comfort or help or somebody that we can depend on, depend on in our lives when the situation seems to us out of control? Today, we celebrate the ascension of our Lord and Savior. His going up, as the Gospels describe it, into heaven. The fact that Jesus is the one who is in control, but not only in control as King of kings and Lord of lords, but Jesus is the one who is available to meet our needs in life. 1 Peter 3 says this, Jesus has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. You know, as we just finished our series on Revelation, we saw so many scenes of the throne room of heaven, of the pictures of the Lamb who was slain, 
and all of heaven giving him glory and honor and praise for his sacrifice to redeem mankind, for his reigning now as we just confessed at the right hand of the Father. But we need to understand also that as we celebrate the ascension, as we talk about Jesus going up into heaven, that those words might be strange to the world around us. In fact, they might look at us a little like lunatics, I think. Because we know from science that those who have been in outer space didn't suddenly come into heaven and see God. There are those who said, see, we told you all of your writings in your Bible of Jesus going into heaven are wrong. But we need to understand as we look at these passages exactly what it means. It is not cosmology that the Bible is talking about. It is Christology. It is about Jesus. And so as we look and first think of that word up, we need to think of it not in terms of space, of Jesus going up into a space, but of being lifted up in terms of glory and power. As Isaiah proclaimed in his word, I saw the Lord lifted high up and his train filled the temple. It is a station of his glory and honor that is being given to him. We think about the clouds and we look at the heavens and we see clouds, so maybe that's kind of where the thought comes. But we need to understand too in scripture what clouds really mean. Clouds are the presence of God on earth when we see them. How Israel in the desert was led at night by a pillar of fire and in the daytime by a cloud that was the presence of God with them. How Moses went up on Mount Sinai and a cloud descended the presence of God as Moses spoke. How in the transfiguration, a cloud descended on Jesus and the disciples and the voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So the cloud that Jesus is enveloped in symbolizes that Jesus now is in the throne room of heaven, that Jesus has returned to the Father, that he reigns over the universe. You see, this is Jesus' coronation. Although he is the eternal begotten Son of God from all beginnings, King of kings and Lord of lords, as he began in Luke's book, he became flesh. He was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and became man, we confess. That's how Luke starts his gospel, the Christmas story that we celebrate. Of the presence of God now being in the person of Jesus Christ, both God and man. And so now he ascends as both God and man into that throne room of heaven. To have forever that glory and power and dominion that is him. You see, it really is a gift of comfort to us that we understand that one who is like us in every way, as the scripture says, is in heaven, is ruling all things for us, and is available to us. You know, I want you to imagine what it must have been like for those disciples that day, standing on that mountainside, watching Jesus go into heaven. They had lost him once in their minds. What a tragic event that was when he was crucified and they thought he was gone. And then when he rose victorious and was among them again, how happy they were, how overjoyed to have him back. But it's only been 40 days. And now Jesus is being taken away from them. I'm sure in their minds, again, there was some sorrow, some wonder at what was taking place. 
that he was gone away from them again. And yet they were overjoyed, it says, at knowing that Jesus was reigning in heaven forever. I'm sure there was some idea of Jesus belonging to them as their little band, their little group, and that he needed to be with them so that they could continue to be dependent on him for all things. But the ascension also means not just that they would be dependent, but that we too, as Christian people, could depend on Jesus, the one who rules all things, to give us his comfort and aid and to be with us in all situations. We are not out of his care no matter what goes on in our lives. We are not under any type of fear that comes because Jesus has promised to be present with us in all situations. That he reigns on high means that he is for all of us, for all the world, that he is present in every place, wherever two or three are gathered, present with us when we celebrate the Holy Supper, his meal where he has promised to be with us even to the close of the age. You know, the disciples never tried to explain the, the ascension or the resurrection. What they did was simply to proclaim it to the world, to be witnesses, as Jesus said, of these things. Witnesses that the one who died and rose again is now on high, who is the King of Kings, who is ruling all things for us and our stead. Luke records at the end of his gospel that they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with that joy. You know, the world had looked for a redeemer, one who could give them hope again, one who could take away their sins. The disciples proclaimed that the redeemer had come and lives eternally and that sins were forgiven. But how often is it in our lives that we speak of this, that we too are witnesses of these things to the world? There was a family who had come back to church after some time and the children were going to be baptized. The little girl was about four and so the pastor took her aside and explained to her what was going to happen, what baptism was all about, that the name of God was going to be placed on her, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that through baptism Jesus was going to live in her life now and forever, live in her heart. The day came of the baptism when the pastor looked at the little girl and said, are you ready to be baptized? And with eyes wide, she put her hand over her mouth and refused to say a word, wouldn't even acknowledge anything. Finally, her parents leaned over, honey, what's wrong? She said, well, if Jesus is inside of me, I don't want to let him out. But you know, there's a message in that for us as witnesses, as followers of Jesus Christ. Statistics say that in the average life of a person every day, we speak over 12,000 sentences, which equals 100,000 words that we say daily. I wonder in our lives how many of those words have to do with our witness and our testimony about the one who is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, who has redeemed us, who gave his life on a cross that we might live that we might be redeemed by him. You know, I wonder if you understand what it means to be a witness so much. And I say that in terms of words that Paul uses when he talks so often about running a race, about passing on a baton. The baton in the Olympics 
was more than just something that was handed off. It was, in fact, a witness that the distance had already been covered by the runners before. It was proof that the one crossing the finish line had indeed had all those before him go that distance. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. He was a faithful witness to the fact of who Jesus was. We too have been handed the baton as a witness of our faith from those first witnesses, the disciples. And our job in this life is to hand that baton off to another generation. To be witnesses of the one who came and rose again, who ascended on high, who is victorious, who does rule and reign over all things. You know, we see so much in our world that seems strange to us. And people say, well, if God were really in control, wouldn't he do something here? And yet we know that Jesus is in control, that he does rule. And that as it says in Philippians, that all things will be subjected to him and are. The problem is that they don't know they are. And that's part of our job as witnesses for Jesus Christ. To testify that he is truly the one who reigns. He is in control. That all may learn to know and bow the knee to him and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord, said the early Christians. They said that in opposition to those who had to, as soldiers would do in the empire, bow the knee and take an oath of submission and allegiance to Caesar. Caesar is Lord is what they were required to say, but the Christians, those witnesses of Jesus Christ would say, oh no, not Caesar, but Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the one who reigns. And as a result, we know they were martyred for that faith, but that is our faith too as we stand in the world, as the world thinks that no one is control or things are out of control. Or that there is no hope. We know the one who brings hope. We know the one who testifies to the truth. We know. And we are witnesses of these things. We are redeemed by the redeemer of the world. Who is over all things. Who brings to our life joy and peace. Comfort and forgiveness. The world looks for that hope. Looks for someone to know that life is not out of control but that there is one who is there always for us. Jesus Christ ascended so that he wouldn't just be the rabbi of those disciples in Jerusalem, but so that he would be the redeemer and the king able to be present in all places, in all of the universe at all times, with you and with me, that we might have that hope and forgiveness and love surrounding us always. May we truly be those witnesses to pass the baton on to another generation. Those who bear fruit, but not just fruit, fruit that will last, that is founded forever in Jesus Christ, our ascended King of kings and Lord of lords, who rules all things with grace and truth and mercy for you and me. May we ever follow our Lord and Savior. Amen.